Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of the LED Project. I am Wilkie Law, aka Will. Excited to be on the line with two good people that I've had the pleasure of meeting. My co-host, as always, Kyle Krieger. What's going on, Kyle? Just enjoying life. Rainy Wisconsin, you know, uh, had the day off from landscaping because it's raining. Going to probably have the next two off. So I was glad this is this is our second Zoom today. I'm feeling really inspired. Yeah. I feel really good about seeing you all this time. Absolutely, absolutely. And we're joined by a mutual friend that we met. Uh, I was corrected two years ago, uh, coming around the anniversary time, um, out at the Mentoring Institute. We have Dr. Robert, Rob Watawa. What's That's going right. on, Rob? I'm here from New York. I'm excited to be with you guys again. Uh, when Kyle reached out with the text messages, I was it was kind of ironic. You know, I was sitting there thinking about you guys. I was looking at some pictures. And then all of a sudden, there's a text message from Kyle. I'm going, oh, that's so crazy. You know, it's funny how we all kind of connected in that way. Yeah, I think it's that time. This that time of the year, you know, because it's like we were excited when we went back the second year. We were hoping to get to see you guys and link up with you guys again. Uh, and it didn't happen. So we just really enjoyed that time. I mean, I mean, when you really find people that are part of that, that internal body that you are part of, it's really special. And we thank you for being a part of that with us. Yeah, it was a great think, time. Yeah, and I think for us, Will, I mean, the first year, we remember, we drove. So we were – we didn't have to <laughs> rush. But like, right. you know, we went in 2017, you know, we went out there, and we were both, like, on a real short time schedule. So we didn't – I didn't feel like we got to enjoy Albuquerque as much as we did the uh, mm. the first time. We didn't even go back to that restaurant. I was so disappointed. Uh, Zacatecas. Yeah, Zacatecas, man. We yeah. went there too much. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. I highly recommend it. Every time I'm every time I'm online and I'm watching people from Albuquerque, I'm like, "Hey, you're going to Albuquerque? You gotta go to Zacatecas. Gotta get the tacos." Mm. <laughs> yeah, you know. And we were just talking about that that the rest of that crew, you know, Jonathan up there in Akron and, and all those people. We gosh, it's so crazy how you know you meet people and you just. Have, I wish it was easier to stay connected, but we're all so busy. It just. Yeah, life happens, you know, and then, you know, if you're, you're married or you have kids and that's something else that pulls you away and then you have, you have other extended family members and then you have other friends, you know, it's one of those things that as long as everybody in the, around the table knows that, you know, it's nothing, nothing negative, it's just, you know, life happens. Mm. Right, right. Mm. You know. But yeah, but we're going to go ahead and get this kicked off and okay. um, run through these questions and, and just, again, be comfortable, be, be you um, and, um, just a conversation. So yeah. So how about for our audience, just share the story of how and why you became a teacher. How and why I became a teacher. Well, um, originally I, I was a musician and I was still a musician and I graduated with an undergraduate in classical guitar. And during, after graduation, I was a, now what am I going to do? So I began teaching in a local music store and started gaining up uh, private students and at one point, I had over 100 students a week that I was seeing. So that means during the summer, I would get up, get up in the morning. I would teach from 10 o'clock in the morning till 9 o'clock at night straight through for four days, five days, taught on Saturdays and taught on Sundays. So I had over 100 private students, and I was learning how to repair multiple of other things, uh, taking apart guitars, taking apart amplifiers, taking apart anything you could possibly imagine. And my wife now, you know, she was like, you need to go back to school. And you need to get your master's because you love teaching and you love 
this whole process. And uh, that's where it kind of, I think that's where it was, it, the, the, the process was born for me. So then I went and got my master's in education. And uh, 2005, I started teaching in a public school. I uh, started teaching music to fourth, uh, fifth and sixth graders in general music and chorus. And then for three years, and then I went to the middle school, uh, junior high rather, and I taught seventh and eighth grade band. And then I was tapped in the shoulder to become a, a leader. So I went into um, a grant program that I, I was awarded a grant to get my administrative certifications and then uh, was in the high school for four years as a department chair of art, uh, facts and music. And now I'm the director of art, ENL, music and world languages at a school district. So now I'm a full time administrator and this is my fourth year. You know, I'm curious. I'm just curious because you began teaching in 2005 and when you got the tap on the shoulder to move up into admin, is it something that was already burning inside of you that you knew that, that you wanted to go into it? Or was it kind of just on the unction of someone else pushing you to say, hey, look, I see this in you and you kind of went with it? It's it's funny because I do go back to that story quite often. I am still friendly with the person that, that had said that to me. That person actually was a reader on my dissertation committee. Um, and I, I think at the time, I wanted nothing to do with leadership because I was so focused on my students, you know, and I, I loved what they were doing. But taking a step back, there was little things that I always noticed about the program, how we can improve things and what we can do to make it better for our kids, but also make it better for our teachers. And then when I share those conversations and those feelings with this particular person, and um, he had said to me, he goes, look, there's a grant that's out there and you should apply for it. He goes, you know, not everybody, you know, gets it, but, you know, go for it. So I think there was about 15 teachers that applied for this grant. I was interviewed by all of our assistant superintendents and superintendents and um, they selected two of us but you know even when even when I was sitting across the table from the deputy superintendent his question to me was so if you if we put you through this program and you have an administrative certification are you going to be an administrator and I looked at him and I said you know unfortunately that's a really poor question I said, because you're asking me to answer a question that I have no knowledge on. I said, if I get into class and I absolutely love what I'm, love the leadership process and want to do it, I can guarantee you, yes, I'll become a leader. But me sitting at the seat right now, I can't make that decision because it requires the knowledge and the time that I would need to speak with my wife and, you know, family. And, you know, that's a big decision in life. And um, he actually took a step back and kind of looked at me and was like, yeah, that is kind of a silly question. <laughs> How how long was that program? program? Um, it was, I think, it was three years. Um, so we were in a cohort, and um, we was about, I guess, about we started out about twenty, and I think it dwindled down to about like like twelve or fifteen, you know. And then um, it, it was, I think, it was three years, and then the last half of the year was no, I'm sorry, the last year was like an internship. So one of the one of the, the coattails that they they talked about was the fact that their internship wasn't just you know six months it was like a ten month you know school year um, so I, during that time I worked really closely with several administrators and got a lot of different experiences um, and one of the things that I had started to learn was that you know when you become an administrator it really comes down to the larger classroom. You know, if, if you're a teacher and you're teaching 30 students and if you're in high school, you're teaching 30 times five because you teach five periods a day, your, your impact is about 125 students, which is great. But if as an administrator, if I have 50 teachers that have all of those students and I teach, you know, and I work well with the, the teachers and I treat them with respect and with kindness, 
that is a ripple effect. And now, now I'm, I could be in, uh, impacting, you know, a thousand students, which, you know, that's, that's the reason why I got into what I'm doing is because I want to, I want to help people. I want to support teachers, but I want to have a positive impact on them to then trickle down to the kids. Well, and I think, I think the, the fact that you stood up to that question is, <laughs> is, is really good because I've, I mean, I know I've had questions like that in interviews and yeah. I I think I balked at them. Um, even my last job interview before I moved back, the guy was like, if we were to offer you this position, would you move? Right. And this was after I had, um, I had reached out to them. I had done all of like trying to get in touch with them. And I, and I said to him, like, I would have to talk it over with my family and make sure that it was the right choice. And it cost me that position. Mm-hmm. He, yep. he, he said that I, I wound up getting a different position at the same school, but he had said, he, I heard through the grapevine that um, he didn't feel like I was committed, that I couldn't commit to it right away. And this was, I mean, in all of this from the time I contacted him to the time I interviewed with him was like three days. Right. And this was talking about a move, you know, across the country. And I just think, but I mean, it's crazy, like you said, to think that, they expect you to know what your life is going to look like in three years. That's right. You know, and, and, and then you take a step back and you go, well, here's a person that you were with and it was only three days. You know, what, what kind of um, relationship do you really have with that person? And this person now is asking you to upheave your entire life for mm -hmm. them. And at this moment now, you're not even bought into the organization. You're not bought into what the, you know, whatever it is that they're, they're going towards, you know, and then, so you take a step back and you go, you know what, I don't want to work for a person like that. You know, um, so I mean, I took, when I, that question came to me, it was a huge risk, but I also didn't want to be dishonest and say, yes, I, I definitely want to be an administrator, you know, and then, you know, and then turn around, you know, three years from then. And, and he's like, well, why aren't you getting a job? You know, and, that, and then that's puts you in a real bad place. Right. And I asked that question because, you know, I actually went the opposite direction. You know, I was on that admin track. Uh, after I got my master's, I became a skill specialist you know, instructional coach. And that was kind of the trajectory that generally people would follow. Right. And I actually went back to the classroom because I didn't, it wasn't fulfilling to me to work. And I got the concept of the bigger classroom. Mm -hmm. You know, every level is just your students change, your classrooms get larger, the impact gets greater. But for me, I found it extremely frustrating. Um, a lot of the, bureaucracy, a lot of the red tape um, that to me stole my, my, my drive to truly just educate. Just, just give me some kids to teach. Right. You know, let me work with some people without your pretexts of what should come out of it, but what genuinely the, the normal growth model should take place. And I just say I got frustrated and I'll be honest with you, this year has been one of my most challenging years teaching as an educator okay but also i already feel it being one of my greatest rewards going back now it's like getting a do-over in a sense <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah yeah no it's now that you say that it's it's i think my my personal shift has, has changed recently this is four years now as being solely an administrator you know and i still 
focus my support on my teachers and I want to, to be that guiding hand and help them. Um, but yeah, the, the frustration of the red tape and the people above me that are saying no, or the people that are above them saying, you know, we got to save money and we got to do this, we got to do that. I think it's also what I look at now is how, how can I best navigate those tr troubled waters to, so our teachers and impact our students can get the best education they possibly can. You know, and you're right, there are so many things that are frustrating to go through. But I think if you take the time to think through and bring the people in to have them understand the challenges that we face, then we can move forward with a positive solution or as best solution we can at the, with the moment that we have. Because unfortunately, a lot of administrators just do what's easy, you know, and mm. And, or they just say no and they call it a day and they're not thinking about the tiered levels of impact. You know, I, I feel like there's, there's some, some people I work with that have that kind of mindset of let's, let's, let's take a step back and let's think about the kids. You know, if we make this decision right now, how does that trickle down to the kids? And then we'll say, okay, well, well are we going to do that or are we not going to do that? Um, and I think a lot of people just say, well, this is what I want and this is what I think is best because I'm the leader. That's not what it's about. You know, and that's right. not what you should be doing. You should be thinking, again, going back to the teachers and back to the kids. Um, so it, but it, it's more work that way. And when it, I feel like when I do that work and I do it well, it's really rewarding because you see the kids shine and you see the teachers shine. Right. Which is key. That's what we, you know, and I think that's still, even in my mind as a teacher leader, that's still my drive is to make the other teachers on my team that much better. It's like I, I, I just get to know them so well and just drop little nuggets. And not in a true sense of coaching where I'm going to come in, I'm going to observe you. I'm just going to listen to you talk to me about what you're struggling with and say, hey, look, have you thought about this? You know, have you implemented this? You know, I tried this the other day with my group that's similar to yours and it worked. And, and to me, I'm finding the reward of that is wonderful, but also you're still not looked at as a normal teacher, so to speak. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? It's like you're still viewed as one of them, so mm -hmm. to speak. Right. And it's like trying to escape that and fully immerse myself. It's difficult sometimes to, um, like, that's one of the biggest challenges with being a, 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 a true teacher leader. Because right. when I think about my favorite teachers growing up, none of them ever became administrators. You know, they retired from the classroom. You know, right. I think there has to be space made for those teachers who are just classroom teachers who want to just teach and, and you shouldn't have to move into, you know, be forced to move into another position, so to speak, to say, Oh, this is what, you, this is the natural trajectory that you should go on things right. like that. So, but doesn't, doesn't, doesn't New York have some program where you have to have a master's to teach or some type of other certification? So the way it works is uh, as a, an 18 year old student, you go to college, you get your undergraduate in education. Um, you can get your teaching job, you know, just like everybody else at what age 22, you know, 23 years old, you start teaching. The state requires that within those, within the first five years, you have to get a master's degree. If you don't get a master's degree. They, they you can actually submit um, like a postponement, but generally it's, it's, you have to get the master's within five years. And now if you want to go forward in administration, most programs here require minimum of five years of teaching experience. 
So you have to have that as well, you know, and then, and then move forward if you choose to. But I agree with you, Wilkie. It's like, you know, there's people out there that are just awesome teachers and they just need to be with kids. And, you know, I have some, I have a, I have a bunch of awesome, amazing uh, teachers that I work with now. And, you know, you just, you just watch them grow and you watch them enjoy working with kids and doing these different things. I have a particular teacher in mind right now that uh, is a band's teacher by nature. And last year decided to take the life skills students and teach them general music in the classroom and had the students do a, a concert for their parents and the, and the community within the classroom and to see the joy on her particular face and the joy on the children's faces, you know, that's what it's about, you know, and that's the type of person that's just good for kids. And, um, she's been, you know, probably been teaching for 30 plus years and she should just keep doing it, you know? Mm -hmm. So since we're talking about favorite teachers, who is your favorite teacher? My favorite teacher. That's a, t that's definitely a difficult question. I feel like, um, in looking back, I think probably my, my uh, probably my fourth grade teacher, uh, Mr. Anderson, he probably was the nicest teacher I had. Um, he, I think he taught us outside of the box. He, he had us play, um, chess every week. So I <laughs> learned how to play chess by uh, being in his class. Um, but uh, most of my teachers, I feel, I shouldn't say most, a lot of the teachers, I, you know, it didn't really have a positive impact on me, but um, he had a positive impact. And then there's one other high school teacher that I truly enjoyed working with, which was my math teacher. Um, you know, but uh, it's, it's funny when you take a step back as a teacher and you start thinking about which teachers had a positive impact on you. And right away we go to our K through 12 teachers, you know, and we don't, we, we never really talk about our university professors or the people that we work with. Um, and, and if I were to extend that to think about who's the best teacher of my life, I probably would have to say, you know, it's been, it's been the people I've, I've recently worked with who you forged positive relationships. They're part of your, your life. They, you know, you, they, you invite them over for dinner and they want to get together and you, you meet them at a diner. You know, those are the teachers, they're lifelong teachers and I'm still working with them and they're still teaching me. Mm -hmm. I think that those, those are powerful mm -hmm. relationships. You know, the, the relationships that you had as a high school student or an elementary student, those relationships are unfortunately are long gone, you know, with the exception of maybe a few that people still have, uh, you know, connect with their teachers on Facebook or something like that, you know? Man, I love the, I love what you just said that teachers are still teaching me. Um, and, and I mean, from, from, from an educator to an educator like that, I feel that same way that, that every day you get an opportunity. I told, I told my, a group of kids the other day, Day, I say I found the fountain of youth when I started teaching because it, year after year I'm staying relevant with the teach with the students that I'm teaching, and you get so many cycles of generational teachers that you get to glean from. So it's like I stay current, I refocus. I stay current, I refocus, and it's like that constant sharpening that happens that keeps you on point. And I think I think you're right when we look at those teachers. We do t typically talk about our K-12, our mind instantly goes there, but you're right. My mentor, for instance, when I first started teaching, um, I still live by the things that she introduced to me, you know, as my mentor. Right. You know, I still consider her to be one of the best teachers I've ever witnessed with my own two eyes. Right. Who can masterfully navigate a math classroom with her eyes closed. Right. You know, and, and, and to develop those type of relationships with students, like I say, like you say, they're still teaching us and I love that 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 that's powerful I love that man that got me excited <laughs>
Mm. I, I ramble when I get excited, so just bear with me for That's that. That's okay. I think we all ramble when we get excited. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, so um, let's talk about the value of a great teacher. We've kind of talked about a lot of the um, aspects of teaching and the why and the how. Um, but what, in your eyes, what's the value of a great teacher? value of a great teacher you know i recently it's funny i recently started a blog i just posted my third blog post and i'm trying to use the alphabet as my uh guide so you know i have a is for authority and b is for boring and c is for uh, courageous you know so i try you know, when you ask this question about you know basically what does a teacher look like or is that what you're asking well what is the value of that What's the value of that yeah i i think i think you can't my personal thing you can't place value on the um, knowledge that a teacher possesses than the knowledge that the teacher can share. Um, it's invaluable, but it's also dependent upon that person. You know, there are some teachers that have the ability to, you know, forge positive relationships with kids um, and do different things in the classroom that may not be like they're the, the, the uh, knower of all. You know, and, and what I'm speaking about right now is my youngest daughter just started the fourth grade. And uh, her classroom teacher did open house and she goes, you know, I'm doing something new this year and I have no idea if it's going to work. And you can see that there's no desks in the classroom and all the children have wheelie chairs and they are able to move around the room as, as, as efficiently as they can so they can get in groups and solve problems. And if they wheel when they're not supposed to wheel, they get grounded and they get into a chair without wheels. And, um, you know, to be in this room and see the, the inspiration and have my daughter coming home and this teacher is doing a flipped classroom for math only. So now as a parent, we don't have to go through the troubles of doing math homework with our daughter with the new Common Core or the Next Generation Standards. You know, so there's a lot of ingenious and, and, you, and you talk about value of a teacher. So in this particular example, the value that this teacher is giving us is quality time at home. You know, we're not arguing with our daughter about math homework. We're not arguing, arguing with, well, you know, this is common core math. That's not how we did it. And then we, we're teaching her how we did it. And she's like, that's not how we did it in school today. You know, and that's, that's a, it's a waste of time. We, we, a couple of years ago, we used to say, oh, we're having a math meltdown. You know, <laughs> so th- this teacher, you know, it's that, that value, it's indescribable because, you know, now I can sit at the, on the couch with my daughter, open up the laptop, watch the video with her for math and not worry about, oh my goodness, how am I going to teach this to her? Because she's getting the lesson here on the video and then going to school and doing her homework. You know, and then all the problem solving that she's doing with the different uh, chairs and moving around and she's taking on um, she's taking on a project based learning this year as well. So there's a lot of different things that are really exciting that's going on in her life. So then you place what's the value of that teacher? Well, I guess the value of that teacher is we'll have to see in 20 years. We'll see what lifelong impact she has had on my daughter. And I think that goes a long way for all of us. You, mm-hmm. you look at you look at the, the teachers and you may have a moment with a teacher. And they say one sentence to you, and that one sentence sticks with you for the rest of your life. Well, the value of that teacher is going to be tremendous for you personally. But on the flip side, you may have a teacher that says something to you that's negative, or you spent a whole year in a classroom with that teacher. Or let's say that teacher looped, and you spent three years with that teacher, and they were just a teacher. Mm-hmm. Their value on their, and, their, and their value on you could be next to nothing, even though you spent three years of your life with them. So it's, I think it's very subjective. Mm-hmm. Wow. You know, it, it, I, I, yeah, I, I don't think we've heard an answer like that. Um, 
with that. <laughs> but I will say that it, it made sense when you described it because even I know for me, I go through and have conversations with my students and I state to them the impact that I want to have in their life. I let them know up front. I emailed all my parents. Yes, I feel like I'm a good math teacher, but above that, I want to teach your student how to become a global citizen. I want to teach your child how to progressively work in networks of, of, a different, of a different varieties. So I, I catered my classroom on just that. You know what I mean? On just that premise. And I think that when you talk about value, to me, it's like, I tell my kids, I want to see you graduate high school. That, that's, my, that's my end game. I, I know that I've done something when you go on and you say, hey, Mr. Law, I'm going into the Marine Corps or I'm going to, you know, I just got a four-year scholarship or, hey, I didn't get a scholarship, but I'm going to junior college because I'm going to go for two years or, hey, I just took this job offshore. I know that something that I've done has created in you a purpose to be that type of citizen and to use skills that you've learned through me. And I think that a lot of education is so short-term with such a, a, a standardized, I need to see year to year how it looks, where every tree, if I planted a bunch of trees in my backyard, year to year, they're not going to grow at the same rate, even if they're in the same soil or if they're you know, getting the same amount of water, they're still going to grow at various rates. They're still going to bloom around the same time, but in different seasons. So I think that when we get that as educators to realize that the end game is that lifelong impact. That's when we'll know if what we're doing in education it really works. Right. When your students become parents and they're transferring that feeling of value of education to their kids because of something that Dr. Walter was said to a teacher who said to you in the classroom, and now, guess what? Generations from now, they're going to remember those words and right. the principal. And I think that's, that's the end game for education in my eyes. Yeah, you talked about uh, transfer. That's, uh, I went to a, a workshop recently about uh, designing curriculum with the end in mind type of thing. And the concept is if you're teaching children and you're teaching them to, well enough so they can transfer that knowledge to something else, that's the goal that we want. You know, so what you're talking about too is, you know, high, I think high school teachers, you know, because I've, I've lived it, have the opportunity to kind of see that transfer relatively quickly you know you have a, a student that's a ninth grader they go through the they go through the couple years you see them in the hallways you check up on them you know for me I looped my kids so I actually saw them every single day for four years and you know you have those conversations oh you know I, I, I'm thinking about I want my dad wants me to be a physicist and he's forcing me to go to school for this but I really want to go to school for music you know and then you know, you're having that conversation and then you know because I had a relationship with the parents I could call the parents up and say what are you doing? You know, you, you know, this is crazy for your kid, you know? Um, you know, it's crazy for us to even say to children, okay, you're 16 or 17. Now you have to decide what you want to be for the rest of your life. You know, but that moment right then and there, that impact, you know, I saw the impact with that child. That child went home, spoke to the parents, parents, they discussed it. The parent called me and I said, look, you know, what's best for this child? And then they down the road decided that he would go to a local college, earn his credits locally to save some money and, by a year to figure out where he would go in his next, his next, uh, you know, journey, you know, so I saw that impact 
immediately. However, as an elementary school teacher, you know, you teach kindergarten, you know, you're setting those foundations and that's, that's I, in my opinion, that's the most important time of the mm -hmm. time to, to get a kid, but you set those foundations. I, I don't know if a kindergarten teacher really gets to see that outcome, you know, that transfer at, at the end of the day. You know, maybe right. it, well, maybe that kindergartner goes through the school in fifth grade, then they go to middle school. So maybe they see some of the steps of transfer. But, you know, fifth graders are still pretty young. They, you know, they're, they're, they're not kind of thinking the way that we're thinking. So to see that lifelong transfer is, is, I think, super valuable. And I think that's what teachers are, you know, love to see. You know, I'm sure you, have, like you had mentioned, you have students. I have students that, that email me or they have now that they're, they're long gone. They text me and, you know, we, we go out to lunch and we connect and they talk about oh the impact that you had on me and you know the little things you go wow you know the little things that make a big difference you know you know I had a moment I was uh, I shared it on Instagram with um, I was in Sam's Club with my wife and I see this young lady walking toward me and I instantly connect I was like I know her from somewhere and and I was like excuse me did you go to Stella and the look on her face was like almost like as if she saw a celebrity like she wanted to cry and, and I almost started crying and it was a kid that I taught when she was in sixth grade who's now about to graduate and she said to me, I am where I am right now because of you. Um, you know, she's graduating in the top 10% of her class and when to hear someone say that that's the impact, that's my million dollar moment. It's like that is what we teach for. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what, that's the true end game. I am because of you. And just to know that I had the, the, the privilege to, to shape the next generation that's going to go on now to do big and, and better things than I could even imagine. That to me is like the ultimate rush. Like I don't, like I don't see how, you know, we, we have, we all know the nine to five teachers that, you know, they're going to teach while they're there and their hearts in it. But they're not really, it's just, it's just a check or just something. It's a job. It's just a job. And it's like, to me, it's so much more, so much more. Right. So. Absolutely. All right. So Kyle, you want to jump in here? Yeah. Yeah. So you were, um, Kyle changed his background. <laughs> uh, I just, I, I'm sitting on a couch and there's just not like, I'm in like the one spot in my house where the internet actually really works. It was not like a good spot to sit. So now I'm sitting back on the couch rather than sitting forward on it. But um, you were talking a little bit about your blog and, and I love it because it's so similar to what Will does. Cause there's, you know, um, gosh, what is it? Uh, what are they called that you love so much? Will that you always use? Um, uh, acronyms. Acronyms. There you go. But this is not quite an acronym, but, uh, it's been cool to read your, your first three blog posts. Do you want to kind of just talk about, you don't have to give the whole thing, but you know why you say A is for authority, B is for boring, and C is for courageous? <laughs> yeah. Um, a, a is for um, authority. You know, it's funny. Uh, I wrote, In that particular blog post, I wrote about a, a, a mentor student of mine. She was a piano student of mine that um, for many, many years – she was a classroom teacher for 40 years. She passed away two years ago at the age of 92. And I was still teaching her piano and computer music. And she, when I got my first job, she said, Rob, just be fair, friendly, and uh, firm. 
and uh, you know, and and you know, you hear the first year, don't smile till December, or you know, don't let the kids know that you're having fun, or you know, whatever it may be, don't smile at all. And you know, she had said to me, look, you're going to go in there, you're going to make mistakes, but you're going to go in there, and you're going to have fun as long as you're fair, firm, and friendly you'll be fine. So for me, the authority piece was being the person that's in the room, being self-aware and self-control of yourself, because if you don't have authority of yourself, sometimes the kids will upset you and your reaction to them could have a negative impact on them. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the authority, but also the students should also have authority of their learning. So that, that's kind of uh, where that come from. And be for bo- boring, I think that was just simply as don't be a boring teacher, you know, engage your, engage your students, get them out of the chairs, get them to do something, get them to um, explore and, and experiment and, you know, make the mistakes so they can foster that growth mindset. And the, the last one I just wrote, I actually just wrote it this morning, courageous, the idea of, you know, we all need courageous people in our lives and, you know, to take risks um, is so tremendous in learning. And if we don't make those mistakes and take those risks, we're not going to learn. And teachers need to be courageous to, to develop um, lessons that are engaging for kids, but kids also are taking that, that journey with you. So they're taking a risk and they're being courageous by you know le- like listening to you and saying, hey, you know what, I am gonna go on this journey with you. And that takes courage for a kid. And I, I, think, I think teachers don't always quite understand that, that you know, they, they may think, well, I'm the, the adult in the front of the room, so you're gonna listen to what I have to say. But in the psyche of a child is they're going, okay, there's this person in front of the room. They're an adult. I know I'm supposed to respect them, but I, I want to believe in them and I want to go on this journey with them. And I think that that takes a lot of courage. And I think, I think kids should be given credit for that. But I also think teachers coming into the building, like I share with, with you about my, my daughter's teacher, they take risks and they, they take courageous activities um, in getting rid of desks or you know, flipped classrooms or whatever it may be. And you know, now they're doing something courageous, but the kids have to go, okay, we're, we're, we're going on with this ride. How is this going to go? So that's kind of what I've been writing about. I really like the courageous piece because I think you have to, like you said, have the aspect of making mistakes. Okay. And I think that's something that's lacking Mm -hmm. in education right now is the attitude towards mistakes. Like we think that, you know, mistakes are wrong, you know, that mistakes need to be all be corrected and those things. But I mean, we know that we learn best through mistakes. And when, when you're mentoring teachers, Rob, do you notice, I mean, do you feel like it's hard for teachers to really step out and be courageous? Cause I can't imagine that kids are really going to be courageous for a teacher. That's not really stepping out and modeling that. I, I think, um, I mean, what I see is a lot of times is teachers are generally, unfortunately, afraid of the administrators, and they're afraid that, that you know, an administrator is going to come in the room and see something, and then, you know, then it's going to be bad, bad news. Um, for me as a person, I try to forge positive relationships with my teachers so they know that when I'm in that room with them, you know, I'm there to support them and mentor them and help them rather than judge them. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a challenge, you know, like you had said, we, 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 as teachers, we always think of in rights and wrongs many times. If you watch really good teachers, when a child makes a mistake, you go, okay, I see I see your thinking there. You know, can you, can you tell me why you thought that and then how you got there and then let the child 
kind of work through that mistake to eventually get to the place where they're making the solution. Um, but it takes a really good teacher to, to be able to take a step back and go, I'm going to let this child struggle, you know, and struggling is good. That, that friction, we need that friction. Um, and then it, it, take that and add another layer on it. So now you're that teacher and you have an administrator standing in the room, you know, are you going to just say, oh, no, that's not right, and fix it because now I want to make sure that the administrator knows that I'm teaching the correct content? Or <laughs> is that teacher going to know that I have a supportive administrator that knows that they're watching to see that I'm teaching for transfer and that this child's going to work through it and I have the patience to sit there and guide them through their learning? You know, I, I, I struggle with that, you know, seeing the how other administrators um, operate and then, you know, how they react to whatever they may see in a classroom. And I think that's a big challenge that a lot of teachers are facing. But, you know, I think you're right on point because we're teaching a generation of students who are slowly being taught that failure is final. They think there's a finite thing that when I fail, oops, that's it, I failed. You know, and I, I encourage failure. I told them I, I create my lessons for you to fail. But notice that I'm right here with you while you're failing so that when you fall, you're never going to be out because I'm going to be right here to help pick you up. And I think, you know, I had a discussion. I was doing a PD on Friday with a group of teachers and they were having the same complaint about the administrators coming in and expecting them to do this and expecting the kids to be performing at this level on every assessment. And I said, well, your response is simply when they say, well, your kids are not passing. I say, then all you have to do is say one word yet. Well, you need to get your, your, the scores are not where they should be yet. Because I think we forget that this, this, this educational journey is a, it's, it's, it's not even a marathon. It's more like a steeplechase, you know, <laughs> across country, you know, it's going to have its pitfalls. It's going to have its moments where the kids are going to run fast. It's going to have its moments where kids are going to have to take a breath and breathe and walk. Uh, maybe even sit down and break. And as an educator, we have to know when to give students those opportunities. And and I think that when you get administrators that understand, that truly have that growth mindset, then that, that becomes part of the, the mindset of the, of, the, of the campus and of districts, you know. Um, but I don't think we enough about that growth mindset with our students. I know I teach the lesson. We talk about growth. I, I show them the brain research videos. I need you to understand what's going on inside of your noggin. It's not just you know, the thoughts that you have, there's a lot going into why you remember a song that you hear on the radio. And by the second day, you know it word for word. One thing about the impact that you feel when you get that. So that saying, if you understand that, then we can get you to understand how you can incorporate that to get your math, to get your reading, to get your science, to get your, so it's the same skill set. And I think that, like you say, teachers have to be courageous enough to step back and say, you know, let me facilitate your failure. Let me be here to facilitate your learning because the research says when you fail, it actually strengthens your brain. It gives your brain something to look for. Your brain wants to problem solve. It wants to work through things. And if you're always getting things right, you know, I challenge kids, if something's too easy for you, move to the next level. You know, I'm not going to sit here playing Mario Brothers and I'm going to stay on the first level. No, I'm going to need some, something that's going to challenge me because after a while, you can't get any more mushrooms or knock any more, you know, coins up. You're done. You've got to go to the next level. And our kids are not being taught to push and move themselves to the next level in, in that way. So, yeah, right. I'm, I'm excited for that. 
Yeah, I agree. I think, uh, I think we would be remiss, Will, if before we uh, wrap this up, you didn't talk to Rob about, about the, uh, the AMAC program and see if we can't uh, get a little bit of help from him. I mean, that's your baby, man. We got to talk about it. You know, I was trying to figure out a way to bring it up. Um, no, we're just, I know going you, you know, right into it. we're just going right into it. <laughs> <laughs> musician to musician. You know, we both talked about the fact that, you know, that's, that's basically one of our first love. That's our first love. Um, and I've been privileged this year to, um, to be able to run and sponsor a program called the Music and Arts Collective. Okay. Uh, at my, and so it's a group of sixth, seventh, and eighth grade students who are um, varying in degrees of artistic expression. You know, you have photographers, videographers, artists, hip hop artists, guitar sing, guitar players, singers, um, music producers. Like it's just a collective of different people. Yeah. The idea behind it is we're teaching them personal development skills and having them create from their artistic expression, whichever, whichever genre that is, create a work, collective work together and individually based on these personal skills kind of build, you know, these personal development skills. And um, we had our first meeting. We had 32 kids show up. Uh, I believe the numbers are going to drop down because kids thought it was just going to be come sit down and, oh, we get to beat on stuff and make beats and all this. And they realized that, no, you actually have to come in and learn how to do this stuff and go through the process. And so, but I think it'll still be a solid core of about 25 kids when it's all, all right. said and done. And, um, and we're actually, the kids are going to film it as part of the film festival for our district. So maybe we could get you on on a Skype or something during, during one of our sessions or have you record a video to kind of talk to them about, you know, the importance. Because every month it's a different, it's a different, like this month is goal setting, seeing the big picture. And so we're working on them being able to see who they are right. and being able to focus on now that I know who I am as an individual what are the goals that I'm going to set for myself and kind of get them in that mindset of, of setting goals and of seeing what it feels like to set a goal and actually successfully accomplish it. Um, and so that's like, I said, that's kind of our focus. So each month we change the focus. Mm -hmm. And so we'll focus on it for a month, create and then next one. So hopefully at the end we have this nice collage of photographs, artist work, songs and music that we can put together that I think fun. So yeah, it sounds, pretty exciting. Uh, it sounds, it sounds um, very all encompassing and almost overwhelming because you, because you have so many different skills for the children there. So you can, you, you know, like mm -hmm. my mind right away went to, okay, so you can have these kids um, have the, have these kids work together, write a song, have the other kids be the videography, have them write a song, um, have the people advertised for the song, have the people record a music video, mm -hmm. have the, the artists working on the backgrounds and the costumes. And, you know, so I'm like, I'm thinking about all those different roles, you know, and, but how they all can come together to create one, unified project you know that's that's the that's the ultimate that's exact goal. that's the that's exactly what it is <laughs> exactly how you describe it exactly how i feel every day and luckily we you know i have i have three other two other sponsors um teachers that come in um and also i've already gotten like so much uh, community love you know we have um 
photographer, uh, Paul McGee, he's coming in next week, uh, this week actually, to come and talk with our kids. And so, um, you know, it'll be awesome for the kids, again, to hear from a different voice. Right. They hear from teachers all the time, but to hear from someone else saying, you know, this is what it takes to do this, this is what it takes to do that, and kind of, and it's just that, you know, like I told them, y'all all want the bag. You you got these big Bugatti dreams, but you got Beetle type of, of, of work ethic. And it's, uh, the two just don't go together. You know, you got to make your work ethic match your dreams and your goals. But before that, you got to know your goal. You can right. know what you're working towards. So I'm excited, man. Like I say, we'll keep you posted on it. And I'll send you a list. Okay. You can kind of look at the topics and then just pick one that you know that speaks near and dear to you. And like I say, we can jump on here and, you and I can just have a quick conversation where you can just talk to the kids or you can just record a video and email it and figure that out from there. Okay. Oh, man. I want, I want to see a video of you like switching from classic guitar to rock guitar to all the different types of guitar that you can <laughs> just like riffing off of it. Yeah. That's what I'm, oh man, those kids would, they, they'd be like, who's that white dude playing guitar like that? <laughs> no, well, you know what would probably be really dope if I was to get on my keyboard and you on the guitar and we just try to create music across the airways like this, I bet that would be kind of dope. Yeah, that would be kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, I've done a lot of things where, um, like, uh, my school district is taking on a theme. I took on a theme a couple of, uh, last year, and I wrote a song that goes with that theme. So I went into my studio and I wrote, I put the guitar tracks down, the bass tracks, the drum tracks, and the vocal tracks down. You know, and um, I didn't get a chance to rec- like video record the process, but. Um, you know, I think when kids start to see like the idea of like, yeah, at one point, you know, I was a, a hard, hard rock fan. I was going to be a rock star. I was, that's where my path was. And then I went to school for classical guitar. Then I went to school to be a music teacher. And now I'm an administrator, but I still play. Like, you know, like mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's crazy when, when you kids think about what they want to be when they're musicians. They want to be these, these stars. And then they realize that life happens and it's not that easy. You know, not all of us can be the, 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 uh, the football star. Right. right. <laughs> but, it's just, but it's all about, about planning and, and looking at the landscape. You know, I think if, if your goal is to say, I want to accomplish this, I want to be, you know, my nephew. Hey, I want to go to the NFL. Mm-hmm. Okay. But now he's looking at it and he's saying, you know, I'm in college. They're paying for me to go to college. So I'm going to go ahead and get my business degree because even if I go to the NFL, I know that's not going to last and I'm going to have to have something to fall back into. And I want to own franchises, so let me get my, my MBA so that when I'm done, I can go do this and do that, even when the NFL's over with. So it's like giving them the option to say that. Don't just say, I'm going to play football or I'm going to play basketball. I want to be a rapper. Be, get yourself educated as to the highest degree that you can. Get all that you can because, you know, education is something, knowledge, is, they can't take that away from you, right. you know. The cars can be stripped away, the houses, you know, we see the Mike Tysons and, you know, the, all the people who, 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 who earn millions and all of a sudden, end up, you know, broke, from, right. you know, living off their celebrity, basically. Um, and so I think that our kids need to see that, that you have to have more depth and meaning to, to the structure of your life and the planning of your life. Right. You can make it big. I mean, hey, we all know that there, as long as there are stars out there, there are stars to be made. But also in the process, don't don't be so closed-minded that you don't see the big picture. Right. That I still have to be a good person. I still have to know how to learn. I still have to learn how to cooperate in a network and do all these other things. So. Yeah, I mean, I was reading a a book recently, and the 
the top three, I think the three characteristics that uh, employees look for, for people is leadership, collaboration, and communication. Those are the three things. So if, so if any job anywhere and you're, you're going to apply, as long as you're kind, you know, you can communicate and you're willing and you can work well with people and you can lead yourself, they'll give you the skills that you need to know to work in that job. And I think it's pretty powerful that like when working with kids and saying, you know, we're here to teach you music or we're here to teach you math, but in the background or rather should be a theme throughout is we want to teach you to be leaders. We want you to do it with people and solve these problems together and communicate. If that theme goes out through the education process and we make it a value, uh, those valuable uh, characteristics, I think that our, our future would be in a better place. I think, I think that's a good spot to end before we, before we get Rob out of here. We got to give our, we got to give our little plug. Um, yep. If you enjoyed the podcast, if you, it, uh, it would mean the world to us. If you would, you know, leave a rating, leave a review, subscribe to it, share it so we can, uh, so we can grow. The, the more ratings we get, the more likely we are to find, show up on searches. So that's why we're doing that. So, man, Rob, great to, great to reconnect, man. We got to make sure it's not, uh, not two years again before we do this. And hopefully we can find a way to get, get together in person sometime. Yeah, that would be fantastic. I would love that. Yeah, man, It'd be awesome. And send me that list of all of the uh, the themed months because I'd be I'd be thrilled to help you out. I will make sure I send it to you as soon as we get off of this. Excellent. Awesome. Absolutely. Well, well, Will, why don't you why don't you leave them with a little something? I always love that part when you're on that you get to leave them with a little uh, life lesson with law is what we're calling them now. So <laughs> drop a little well, something on them before we get out of here. Well, you know, I just again I want to thank you, Rob, for being there and. Um, I'm just kind of summarizing what we just talked about right now and just looking at your journey um, uh, of coming, becoming a teacher. And I think it's so interesting that it wasn't your, you didn't grow up saying, I want to be a teacher. Yet here you are a great teacher making an impact on more teachers and, and steadily pushing the cause of teaching. And I think that for any teacher that's listening, you may not have chosen this as your first profession, but you chose it for a reason. And I think that as educators, if we remember the why we got into what we started doing and stop living for the test scores, stop living for the paycheck and start living to make, as, as you say, Rob, that lifelong impact with our children, I think we'll shift in the hands of teachers alone. We will shift the face and, and the course of education by ourselves. So, um, just just live to live to make that lifelong impact and teach 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 all right that's it man i think i, I think that's about it okay all right awesome <laughs> well thanks again rob buddy for yep. taking the time and coming back on the podcast excellent uh keep me posted all right right will do